many of you are glad to be here this morning? Anybody? Yeah. All right. We have a few. We miss you guys. You guys been... How many of you have taken vacation at least once this summer? How many of you plan on taking another vacation? All right. Vacation. <laughs> we love vacations. Listen, I wanted to make you aware, it, it really only affects those that attend the first service, but I, it affects our whole church body, so I wanted you to make you aware of just a slight change that we've made uh, with our student ministry, and really this has nothing to do with the, the, stu- the new student pastor that'll start the 15th. Come on, everybody, give praise. What? what? But I, I've, I've been in youth ministry for a really long time. In fact, uh, since 91, I've, I've worked with students, and, and so I follow some trends that are happening with young people. And one of the alarming trends that I've continued to see, and it just keeps getting worse and worse by the year, is is this, that when students graduate high school, uh, they disengage with the church. Up to 80%. That's a high, staggering number. Up to 80% of young people, when they graduate from high school, disengage with the church. In other words, they stop attending church. uh, They stop gathering with other believers. And there might be a few reasons why that happens. I mean, one is they move off to college and they get in different patterns of life or they just, they're stepping out on their own for the first time as an adult. But if, if you're like me, it's an alarming thing to see that up to 80% of them are disengaging with the church. Many don't ever engage with the church again until they're much older in life. Now, this is the thing. We can change that. We've just got to figure out how. So as I've been praying for, for Grace East Lincoln, um, one of the things that we can do differently here is, is not separate our students as often. Here's the thing. When I was growing up, it used to really bother me that I always heard that students, we call them youth back then. How many of y'all grew up in youth groups? Now we have student ministries. Uh, but I grew up in youth group, and it used to always bother me. Uh, back then, it was probably more so just because I had an attitude about everything. Uh, but it used to bother me when I would be told that I was a church of tomorrow. Does anybody remember hearing that about yourself when you were growing up? And our youth, they're the church of tomorrow. No, that is absolutely false. Our students, our youth are the church of today. They're the church of right now. And so we want to figure out how to, to engage our students, even starting in seventh grade, with the life of the church now so that they feel connected and want to be connected when they graduate. The reality is Grace started separating students on Sunday morning years ago in Cornelius because they ran out of space. It wasn't, even a, it wasn't even quite a spiritual thing. <laughs> they ran out of space in the sanctuary, and so they had to start separating students, and we just never went back uh, to what I feel like is a more healthy process for our students. So we, we have that freedom here to do that. And so on Sunday mornings in the first service, typically what would happen is uh, middle school and high school students would be with us through, in worship, and then they would go next door for their own teaching time. Uh, seventh grade and up will now stay with us as adults, as dorky as their pastor might be, their preacher might be, uh, they get to stay with us in uh, this service. But we have started what we're looking at as a, a transition type of group for fifth and sixth graders. So fifth and sixth graders will be with us for worship, and then they'll go to their own teaching time. Um, so just trying to figure out how we can help students transition from grace kids to grace students, because that's a big jump too. But then we've got to figure out how we help students transition from high school to a college age and in adulthood and still stay connected. So that's just something we've been praying about for a while, and, and we made the change. It actually started uh, this morning. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are so glad that you're here. We try to make it as easy as possible for you to connect. The first way that you can connect is just through your device, your cell phone. If you text the word VISIT uh, to the number on your screen, 
704-486-9664. Just text VISIT to that number. Uh, We'll start connecting with you there, but we'd also like for you to uh, stop by Guest Central. There's going to be somebody there waiting to have a conversation with you, get a little bit of information from you, and then also give you a free gift. So we would love to see you there. Love Denver is coming up on August 13th. It is from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., and there's still probably a chance for you to get involved. Here's the thing. As, I, as I'm starting to get engaged with some of these community events, uh, I helped Trish and Megan. They did such a wonderful job. I was just kind of a gopher or just do, do what you tell me to do type of thing for the National Night Out. Did anybody else go to the National Night Out? Uh, But as I was walking around the National Night Out, my mind was just tripping with all the things that we could possibly do next year as a Grace family to be there on National Night Out and make connections with a lot of other people in our community. Love Denver is one of those those ways that we can show that our our community that we love them. So there's still a chance for you to get involved. Uh, We have the Love Denver website that's right there on the screen for you. You can also go to the Grace Covenant website, find Love Denver, and figure out how you can get connected. It's on August 13th from 10 to 2 p.m. If you've been watching the news, anybody watch the news ever? (laughs) That's just so depressing these days. Uh, If you've been watching the news at all, or even on Facebook, you're seeing what's happening in Kentucky with the flooding. I know that it's up to 30, I I read last night it was up to 37 deaths um, in the floodings there, and most of those, most of the areas that this flooding is happening are very impoverished areas already, and now you have things that are being destroyed, including some elementary schools. And so as Grace Covenant, we're trying to figure out how we can help, how we can get involved. We actually have a partner ministry there um, in Line Fort, Kentucky. Pastor Mary has been there for years. She's probably in her upper 80s, maybe even lower 90s, and she's serving in the mountains, the hills of Kentucky, and has, has been there for a really long time. I've actually been just a few times. We send a team every year from Grace there. So there's a few ways that we're going to help and get on the ground in Kentucky. The first way is by um, going, taking a a team. So write these dates down. If you're interested in going, you'll need to put this on your calendar so as more information comes out, you can stay connected. But on October 13th through the 16th, we'll send a team of people to be on the ground in Kentucky, serving through uh, Mary and uh, the things that she's already doing in the community. Uh, We're also sending, um, uh, right now, we're sending water and Clorox and wipes and disinfecting. We're trying to get things to them right away. So that's another thing that we're doing. If you'd like to, if you'd like to give to that, uh, you can give in, during, through our normal means. Just make sure you mark whatever you're giving uh, for Kentucky. So just put that in the memo or as you do it online, you can designate it as well. And all of that money will go to Kentucky because we're figuring out some things that we're going to do in the future. A possibility is uh, within a month or so when things are getting settled there and there's some more organization and structure happening is partnering with Mary to get into some of the elementary schools. She knows of a few elementary schools that were completely destroyed. So we would go through and take uh, you know, backpacks full of stuff for the kids and figure out also how we can uh, help the, the teachers. Because if the kids lost, ev- lost everything in their classrooms, their teachers did too. And man, just think of the expense to replace everything. Uh, so just uh, look for more information on that because we're going to figure out how we can continue to love uh, Kentucky and those that are, that are suffering there. Our offering, we make it easy for you to give. There's three different ways that you can give through the app. Real easy there. You have to do some setup in the beginning. And the first time you, you give through the app or even online, there's some setup that you have to do. But after that, you can just go to it and give extremely easy. So the, the website, the app, as well as the boxes we have at the back, you can drop your tithes and offerings in the box. Let me pray for the offering. And then right after the offering, we've got this short video for you to watch.
God, thank you so much for everything that you're doing in this place. You are, you are such an awesome God. Uh, and, and sometimes even the gifts, the offerings that I give, the tithes that I give, seem so insignificant to the amount that you give and bless me with. So Lord, just take every penny that's given to the work and expansion of your kingdom uh, in, in our community and, and around the world. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I know there's probably a lot of questions in your mind about the transition that's happening. I think that uh, Pastor Farrell has been uh, very transparent and so healthy. So as he mentioned, uh, Pastor Zach is on staff now kind of as uh, an executive pastor as he learns what's happening here at Grace, the culture of Grace, as well as the people of Grace and the staff. And probably somewhere around the first of the year, that baton will be passed. I, I do know that Zach will be presenting on Vision Sunday, which is like the last uh, Sunday in February. So I just want you to know, man, this is, this is an extremely healthy transition. And as much as I love uh, Pastor Farrell, I'm so happy that he's leaving. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do we record that? I love, I love Pastor Farrell. In fact, um, man, I feel so blessed to have been here the past few years and um, sat under his leadership. Uh, but I do know Zach. I've known him, Zach for a few decades now. In fact, he's probably 10 years younger uh, than I am, but we've had some time to minister together at youth camps. Uh, and so I'm excited about what God has for us in the future. As we move through the transition, if you guys have questions, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I will answer any question uh, that I can. If I don't have an answer for you, I'll, I'll try to get that for you. Well, we are in the midst of a series called Faith Alive, and it's about the, the faith that's within us being lived out. Because faith is a lot more than something we know. Faith is a lot more than a belief system. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. In other words, you really don't have faith unless your faith is seen in action in and through your life. And I know that it's so easy, because I'm talking to myself too, it's so easy to have a faith that's not being demonstrated. But we've got to change that. And the reason we've got to change that is because there's a world around us that needs the hope and the joy. They need to know Jesus. And the only way they find Jesus is through those who are following Jesus today. So we have to make a conscious effort. We've got to remove the excuses of not reaching people for Jesus and just begin to live the way that Jesus lived. And if we do that, then we would see our communities changed and transformed. We would see the world around us transformed. I struggle a little bit as I was preparing for this morning's message, and I, I knew it was coming, um, but I, I, was strugg- I struggle a little bit with this morning's message because this morning is, is talking about persecution. And as I look at the church in America, I would say, and you might disagree with this a little bit, but I would say the church in America is not being persecuted. I mean, are there things that might be a little bit more difficult to profess our faith at at work or in the public? Maybe, maybe. But when I look around the world and I see what's happening around the world, when we talk about persecution, we're not just talking about somebody saying something against you. We're, We're talking about Christians losing their lives all around the world. And I don't know, I don't know of any instances, certainly not any recorded instances in America where, where somebody lost their life for being a Christian. Maybe you're like me. I, you know, I, felt, I, I faced some hardship growing up when I was in the, the sixth and seventh grade. 
where I was trying to live for Jesus in a school system that absolutely was against Jesus, and most there were against Jesus. And, and I mean, I faced some ridicule at times because I would pray over my meal, and people would see me praying over my meal. I was ridiculed because I didn't listen to any secular music, only Christian music. And, and, and so at times when people were talking about music, and I had no idea what they were talking about, but I could talk about Striper. Um, I mean, you guys, anybody remember Striper? Yeah. I was, I was ridiculed from time to time, but I would never say, looking back, that I was persecuted. Especially when I compare what happens, happened to me or what I've seen happen to Christians in the U.S. compared to what's happening now around the world. There is countries today where people are losing their life because they're choosing to worship Jesus, choosing to worship God. There's churches today that if they, if they gather, they have to do it in an underground setting so the government doesn't find out. As I was doing some research on persecution, I found that the church in Rwanda, starting back in 2018, in 2018 through 2019, over 8,000 churches were closed in Rwanda. Christian churches were closed. The reason they were closed is because the government began to put all these very strict regulations for the church. And when I say strict regulations, there were things like they, they demanded or restricted, that had laws set in place to where each house of worship had to have a certain type of linen hanging from the ceiling. And the churches couldn't afford that linen. So the government came in, they made all sorts of restrictions like that. And because of those restrictions, 8,000 churches closed in just a few years. During COVID, 4,000 more churches in Rwanda closed. That's persecution. Persecution is somebody who loses their life just professing Jesus on the street corner for praying for healing for someone. Losing their life because they're smuggling in Bibles. I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm mistaken, but I haven't seen anything like that in our country. And so as I was preparing for the message, I thought, God, how does this apply to us here? Because when I pray that we never have to experience a persecution that leads to death, I do hope and pray that things get harder on the church in America. Because in every instance that we see persecution happening, the gospel spreads. Maybe that's just a part of our humanity. If we were honest, maybe in our own humanity, we would say, man, we are, we are crying out to God in, in difficult times, but we hardly have conversation with him when things are going good. Maybe it's persecution that we need here in America that would set our hearts on fire where we really start digging in our heels and proclaiming the name of Jesus and the hope to the world around us. How many, how many of you are, are, are like me that as soon as somebody tells you you can't, <laughs> Anybody else? Like, don't tell, don't tell me that I can't, because as soon as you tell me that, like, something starts to, to, to build up inside me to where I do, <laughs> right? Don't, don't draw a line in the sand, because as soon as you draw the line, there's something that compels me to step over that line. Maybe we do need persecution in America to see the gospel spread. I wish that wasn't the case, but I believe that that is when it comes to humanity, when we think of following Jesus, we would much rather focus on blessings than persecution. We want the perks, but not the pain. How many of you, raise your hand if you have ever woke up in, a mor in the morning and as you're getting ready, whatever your routine might be, uh, but you're just having a conversation with Jesus, because that's how, that's how my morning, sometimes it's more like, Jesus, 
Jesus, Jesus. Uh, other times, it's like just having a conversation with Jesus. But how many of you woke up and as you were getting ready for work or maybe even church this morning, like one of your prayers as you were conversing with Jesus, was like, Jesus, make this a day of suffering. Just bring it on. I want the whole day to be difficult. Like, I don't want anything to go right. I want to grab my shirt out of the closet and there be a big bleach stain on there. I want my kids to, to be the, the, the hellions uh, that's, that they could, could be. My kids are great. Uh, I, I, want, I want a flat tire on the way to church. I want to get there and, you know, not find a seat or not find my seat. I just, I want a day of suffering. Has anybody ever woke up and just, like, just prayed that? God, persecution. Could you pass a little persecution? No, we pray for blessing. How many of you ever prayed for blessing? All, all the time, right? But we never, we never pray for persecution and suffering, Pastor Samuel Lamb spent 20 years in prison in communist China for preaching the gospel. When asked by a group of American pastors about persecution and the advancement of the gospel, he said this, in America, the church has experienced prosperity and is growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and is growing stronger. Listen to this. Persecution is much better than prosperity. Like even saying it, even having those words come out of my mouth is difficult. Persecution is much better than prosperity. If you follow statistics of the church over the past several decades, the church is in decline. It has been. There hasn't been a turn. Even through COVID, there hasn't been a a turn. Like things began to be restructured and people are uh, attending online. But there hasn't been like this, this great awakening that's happened. It's been in decline. Year after year after year, fewer people are attending church because church just seems very uh, unrelevant or non-relevant, unrelevant to them. Not only are, are people not attending church, there's fewer and fewer people statistically that are coming to know Jesus. Why? Why is that happening? I can tell you, and, and I mean, I've, I've been in church ministry for, for quite some time now, and there's always complaints that come against the church, the organization of the church. But can I tell you why the gospel isn't spreading in America? Because Christ followers aren't spreading it. Yeah. It really has nothing to do with it. Listen, the gospel could spread. If, if we had to close our doors today after this service and never come back in this building again, and the same thing happened with every church community around the Denver area, our county, the gospel could still spread. Why? Because you are the church. I am the church. It's not these four buildings. So maybe persecution is exactly what we need. Persecution is better than prosperity. My prayer would be this, because I happen to like prosperity. Anybody else like prosperity? I like prosperity. I like blessings. So how about this? Let's just make the conscious decision to begin to share the gospel and see, see people come to know Jesus, even though we're not being persecuted. Because the heart of God is just that people would come to know Jesus. The heart of God isn't that the church would be persecuted, but throughout history, every time the church was persecuted, the church grew. Yet here in America, we're we're dying, we're declining year after year after year. In Western Christianity, we have an inadequate theology of persecution. We think it is odd to experience persecution, even though Jesus said we should expect it. I believe one of the things that obstructs the building of God's kingdom in the U.S. is our freedom. We have rights as Americans 
that we stand up for rather than standing on God's word. I've seen this happen. It's, it's so unfortunate that this has happened in the church over the past, I don't know, five years, six years. And even as Christians, we, we talk so much about our rights as Americans. So we stand up for that, but we're not even standing up for God's word. There's a term that's coming to, to be more and more um, relevant, and it's Christian nationalism where we place more value on being an American than we do a Christian. And am I thankful for America? Absolutely, I'm thankful for America. I believe that, that we are blessed. I don't, I don't think that we're blessed because of America. I think we're blessed because God loves us, just like he loves every other nation and every other people in the world. God doesn't look at America and go, man, that's my chosen nation because there's more Christians in other countries as they're losing their lives than there is in America. In John 15, 20, Jesus said this, remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, how many of you would say Jesus was persecuted? If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. So even Paul, the other apostles, the disciples, Jesus said this to the disciples, And I don't know if this, we think about this a whole lot. We just had communion this morning, and Jesus was referring to the cup that they were about to drink. But he said this, listen, to be my followers, you have to be willing to drink a cup of suffering. To be my followers, you have to be willing to be persecuted. And we see that the disciples, many of them lost their lives because they were proclaiming the gospels. Later, the apostles, as the gospel spread throughout the known world, some of the apostles lost their life. We have the book of Thessalonica written by Paul because of persecution. Persecution happened to the church in Jerusalem, and everybody started to spread out, and now you had the gospel going to the known world and churches starting in the known world there, including Thessalonica. But it's interesting that the apostle Paul left Philippi to come preach the gospel to people of Thessalonica due to persecution. He was being persecuted in Philippi, so he left Philippi and went to Thessalonica. Listen, Paul wasn't afraid of persecution. There were times where he was going into a city, going into a town, knowing that he was going to be beaten, imprisoned, and he went anyways. But Paul also knew the journey that God had him on. And so when the time was right and the Holy Spirit led, he left Philippi. Even even with persecution happened there, he goes to Thessalonica. He had to leave Thessalonica after three weeks. So he goes to Thessalonica. He writes a letter to send before him. He goes to Thessalonica. Persecution happens again, and he leaves just after three weeks. Then he went to Berea to preach the gospel and again faced persecution that forced him to leave Berea and go to Athens. Do you see how now the gospel is being spread all throughout that region because of persecution? The apostle Paul knew that persecution was reality for anyone who chose to follow Jesus. So the challenging question, and I don't want everybody to answer this or anybody to answer this, but I want to at least challenge you like it challenges me. When's the last time you were persecuted for being a Christ follower? When's the last time you might even have been ridiculed or faced hardship because you, were, because you were a Christ follower? And it's one of those things in my own life. Again, I don't want to wake up and pray for suffering and persecution But I do pray that my life is lived out in such a way that the world around me does bring persecution. Because if it does, it means I'm living like Jesus. 
Let's quickly read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's the chapter we're in this morning. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, then skip to 4 through 16. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, speaking of that uh, persecution, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap upon their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Christian persecution is the negative reactions by governments, ideologies, societies, and individuals to, to the presence of Christ. It is used for the purpose of silencing the positive witnesses of believing individuals and communities. I love this statement. It talks about government's ideology persecution, but listen to this. We're persecuted because the very presence of Jesus is in us. But the reality is if we ask the question, is that seen, is that experienced by others? I would say in most cases, not. But we can change this. We can change this. The focus of 1 Thessalonians 2 is the challenge of persecution. We find these words. Suffered, we find it three times. Insulted, strong opposition, toil, hardship, and hostile. The new believers were living out their faith in a pagan culture that was opposed to Jesus and the gospel. So look at some, let's look at some right responses when persecuted. The first one is this. We have to expect persecution. The hardship and challenges and, and the hardships and challenges that come with it. 2 Peter 3.12 says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a life, a godly life in Jesus, will be persecuted. Why would God's word make a statement that is so emphatic? It says everyone will. Listen, God makes this statement because our world, the world around us is broken. And everything in the world is a contradiction to who Jesus is, the life that he lived, the words that he spoke, the prayers that he prayed. Everything in the world around us is a contradiction to that. So if we begin as Christ followers, if we begin to live like Jesus, our very lives, our very action, the demonstration of who Jesus is within us is in opposition to our culture. I want to do a study, and I'm going to reach out to some pastor friends of mine to do a study on the, the ways that the culture of the church is similar to the culture of the world. Wouldn't that be interesting to see a list of, man, we, we're that similar. I believe that we are, but we can change that. Listen, we're living out our faith in the midst of a conflict between light and darkness. Light and darkness. Have you ever tried to put the opposite sides of a magnet together? Over and over and over again. You know it's not going to work, but it's just so fun doing. Why? Because they're the opposites. 
I mean, think about the last time. Maybe it happened in school. Maybe it might have happened maybe a few times in your workplace and certainly with your family. But when have we had the same reaction to people around us? That my life is so much like Jesus and so opposite from the world and culture around me that the reaction is much like two magnets, the opposite sides of magnets trying to be put together. Because Jesus, when he lived, that's how it was for him. Even to the point of his death, we're living out our faith in a culture that is ruled by sin. We see that in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. Look at the second point. We have to develop a right perspective of persecution. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 9 says, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Listen to this. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me. I like that part. But then he goes on to say, and there are many who oppose me. Because, because Paul had given his life, sold his life out to preach the gospel. Everywhere that Paul went, there was opposition and persecution. We have to view Persecution as an opportunity to glorify God. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 and Acts 5, 41. When we're experiencing persecution and hardship, let's be sure to glorify God in the midst of it. We have to view persecution as an opportunity to reveal Jesus. Listen, when people experience hardship, oppression, and persecution, what's the one thing they look for? They look for hope. That hope is found in Jesus. And the Bible says that the hope of Jesus is found in us as Christ followers. Let's look at the third point. Choose to worship through persecution. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says, blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. My notes disappeared. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, we can choose to magnify God in the midst of hardship, or we can choose to magnify and lose sight of God. Magnify hardship and lose sight of God. The worship team is going to come up because we're going to close with a song, and it's, it's going to be somewhat of a new song. You've probably heard it on the radio uh, a few times. But as they do, let's look at the fourth point. We have to live out grace as you choose to love and forgive those who persecute you. I would really love to skip this point because it's a hard one. We have to love and forgive those who persecute us. We see that in Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Listen, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice to end the cycle of revenge and leave justice in the hands of God. Forgiveness isn't a choice to free the person forgiven. It's a choice to free yourself. Many times we hold on to unforgiveness year after year after year after year, and we, and we wonder why we're not experiencing the things that God wants us to experience. I would say that in a lot of cases, it's because you're carrying around some unforgiveness, some offense from when you were a child. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe, maybe your, your home life was extremely difficult and maybe even traumatic. Maybe you experienced things at school or at work as a young person, maybe even recently, and you're struggling to forgive. 
Listen, unforgiveness is a prison cell built for only one. That person is you. If we hold on to unforgiveness, we just stay captive to that. And that's one of those scary verses in Scripture says this, that if we don't forgive people of their sins, our sins aren't forgiven. That's a difficult thing, but as we face persecution, we've got to choose to love and forgive those who persecute us. Followers of a persecuted master will themselves be persecuted. May we embrace persecution in a way that reveals Jesus. Uh, This song that we're about to worship with is called Same God. And I love this. I love the fact uh, that the same God that we read about in Scripture is the same God we worship today. It's the same God who chooses to interact with us today. The same God that we read about in Scripture that performs miracles is performing miracles in our lives today. Could we begin to demonstrate? The Bible says that signs and wonders will follow those who follow Jesus. Yeah, when I think about even my own life, is that something that's happening on the regular? Are signs and wonders following me as I follow Jesus? Listen, I believe that before God sends his son Jesus back for the, for the church, uh, that he wants, he longs, he hopes, he desires to see more and more people come to know Jesus. And then he looks to us the ones that he's appointed and designed to be in this broken world to to show Jesus, to shine Jesus, to minister Jesus in the midst of brokenness. Listen, he's the same God. Let's stand to our feet.